0: Hi, this is Sarah Tebow, and this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the
1: hosts of the SideWoo Podcast.
0: This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible, from the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the SideWoo. Hello and welcome to The SideWoo. I am excited to have a new episode for you. We, this week, have Nikki Nolan on the podcast and she is coming on to share a personal story that has led her to become an advocate for patients' rights, specifically around getting consent for sensitive medical procedures. As she explains in the podcast conversation, she had a sensitive OBGYN-related procedure in which she had asked for an all-female staff at a local Bay Area institution. And, you know, she shows up the day of and finds out that she is not able to get that and that there's no space for consent within the selection of who will be in the room. And so this kind of triggers a series of emotions. And then now, Having gone through the procedure and experienced, you know, symptoms of PTSD, she is now advocating for other patients to build that consent into the structure of medical policy, which is something I really love about Nikki is that if something bad happens to her, she doesn't just talk about it. She not only shares her story, but then she works to actively change it for other people. So I'm really excited to share this. It resonated with me in a personal experience that I share, as well as I think most people having gone through the medical system know that it's not created to make patients feel comfortable. So I, th- I hope that this resonates with you. It is a little bit more sensitive and there may be moments that might be triggering. So please be mindful when you're listening to it that you know you're aware of who's around you. It would not probably be appropriate to younger children. And I also want to say that it'll just be me this week. Next week, we will have Liz on. But then after that, she's going to take some time off just to take care of family stuff. And we'll be back at some point. So with that, I will leave you to the episode. If you have comments or feedback, feel free to reach out on Instagram at the SideWoo. Email us at thesidewoo at gmail.com. Or you can go on our new platform, which is no longer Anchor. It is now Podcasters for Spotify which the link is very long. So I will include it in the show notes. You can leave a voice memo there or you can email one to us. Also, feel free to share the podcast, write a review, subscribe, any support that you can offer. We greatly appreciate it. You know, we're really passionate about this and we just want to share our love with the world. So with that, I will leave you to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Well, cool, let's get started. Today on the podcast, we have Nikki Nolan, our first ever podcast guest who is now back after I want to say a year and a half to 2 years cuz I think we did the interview in July of 2021 maybe. Is I, that
1: right? I have I don't know, I have such bad memory that I could not tell you, but it feels it's been a minute.
0: Yeah, at least a minute. <laughs>
1: so. At least a minute. Perfect. That's exactly how we should frame time. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Everything is just in increments of is it more than a minute? Maybe just to introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself. I did have to look up your birthday. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's in July, but I couldn't remember if you were Cancer or a Leo or, and it turns out you are right on the cusp. So mm-hmm. maybe do you identify more as one?
1: So it's it's really interesting. One of my friends had this bingo card. And it was just this really ridiculous little thing. But it was a cancer card, a Leo card. And I got more bingo, which ones I related to, to the cancer yeah. card. But technically, I'm a Leo. And from what I've read, you can't be in multiple houses. It's one yeah. house or the other. But I do feel a lot, have a lot of cancer influences, but I am rather loud. So not that, not, (laughs) not not a stereotype. That That was one
0: thing I was going to mention. If you were like, I don't know which one I am. And I'm like, well, you're an external presenter, you know, you have podcasts and you talk to people a lot and
1: yeah. But yeah. yeah. Once you get me going, I'll just start talking, which could be good, could be bad, it's a lot of things. it just is <laughs>
0: it just is totally, no judgment, yeah, you could have some other stuff in cancer that would make you identify, you know that's the thing that it's people a- don't get into very often is, mm-hmm. yeah, all the other planets,
1: so my Mars and ascendant are oh, in okay. cancer, and then my sun and Mercury are in leo and, and then my moon is a Libra, which is oh, which, nice. Uh, is, Social
0: justicey, that kind of makes sense for you.
1: I'm very social justicey. And then I I was really shocked that my Pluto and Saturn are in Scorpio because that actually makes sense for me too. I, okay. Okay. <laughs> I love that you can see it.
0: Yeah, because I felt like God, she's gotta have some Scorpio going on because for people who don't know Nikki, she has this uncanny way of channeling information to you, or if there's some kind of common thought happening within a group you'll like say the thing that someone else was thinking and then they'll be like, oh my God, I just was thinking that. Or I was just looking at that. And then you somehow picked up on it. So I feel that's very Scorpio and also kind of cancer too. Very water sign.
1: Yeah. I feel like I'm a water and a fire. And that's where I feel a lot of my internal struggle comes from. Mm. I'm I'm constantly, I feel like I'm at extremes and I'm never at the middle I feel Mm. like I'm always being separated I'm a fire I'm a water but I also feel I'm left and right brained but not I know that's more old terminology and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how if we prescribe to that anymore but growing up they really wanted to identify you as a left brain or a right brain person and they every test I took, I came back extremes on both and never Mm. down the middle and never just one side or the other. I took a lot of tests growing up. They're always like, what's, what's happening with you? (laughs) What is this?
0: (laughs) Maybe you could talk about that. I feel like that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today because you have a learning disability, right? Or is that how you would describe it now? Identify
1: it. That's, I mean, that's how I grew up being identified as having a learning disability. I went to seven schools before eighth grade because I just kept failing out of schools and they refused to test me. And my parents ended up having to sue the public school system so that I Mm -hmm. could go to a school that would support me. But yeah, growing up, I do feel uh, some of the stuff that's happening right now that we're going to get into. uh, I talked it out with my therapist and it feels like some of the stuff that happened to me as a child, specifically around, being tested on as a child yeah. they used to just feed medication to me and then put me in a room and make me do tests Whoa. I was a medical experiment as a child and, and is so that because you were I-
0: neurodivergent was that the main reason or
1: I think so I like to call myself neurospicy now because oh, I hey. think that that's a lot more cute but I- <laughs> I'm very spicy
0: <laughs> so okay like a true leo <laughs>
1: I heard some other neuro, uh, divergent neurodiverse person say neuro spicy. And I was just like, Oh, that sounds correct. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, I think it came. I just don't fit in. I've never fit in. I don't uh, like you meet me and I have a lot of energy and I'm very excitable or I can be very, very distant and cold because I just am overwhelmed. But Growing up, I just didn't fit into any kind of benchmarks or Mm. they thought that I was extremely intelligent because I could solve lots of problems. My dad taught me multiplication up to nine by three. I was doing multiplication. So I I was and I knew all the colors. I would walk around identifying colors and I would point out cars and be like, that car's red, really close to mom's. Not quite. You know, I I was like funny. Yeah, really into that. But I couldn't read. And interesting. I was good at talking to people, but I had no friends. And Mm. so they were really trying to figure out what to do with this little person that didn't fit in the world. And I think back in the 80s and 90s, their solution was how do we make her conform to things that will make society accept her? And so I just was tested on a lot. I took a lot of educational tests. This I actually recently divulged this to somebody and it, it sounds kind of strange, but I have such bad test anxiety that somehow my parents got a hold of one of the educational test keys mm. and sat with me for several hours. Yeah. And like And you just memorized tra- it. And I memorized it and it was Whoa. it's kind of messed up. But,
0: but I also was like, taught from rebellion against a system that Mm -hmm. isn't fair and only prioritizes certain kinds of intelligence and that's kind of awesome actually
1: it's true but it's also taught me the systems in place that don't fit me aren't meant to be respected is a thing that it taught me is yeah is how how can you come up with solutions to get around a system of oppression or a system that is not allowing you to thrive and i think that's why i'm so good at patterns or why I pick up on things that people don't necessarily, maybe they're thinking and they can't articulate or. Well, but just to go back to what you said, yeah,
0: yeah, because one of the things I wrote down was you seem to go through these experiences where you come up to like a conflict with an institution and it maybe is traumatic for you. But then part of the reason it seems that maybe that you're doing it is because then you have the capacity to go in and be like, oh, well, this is wrong. You know, it's not me. This is wrong. The system is broken. How do I fix this? And then you navigate all these things. Your parents maybe showed you how to do it by suing the school that you went to. But I feel like that's happened multiple times where you're like, the system is broken. I've gone through it and I've experienced the negative part of it. How do we then change it? And you're now doing that with, you know, matter of life and debt. And then also your new
1: podcast. Disability bandwidth. Disability yeah.
0: bandwidth. Yeah.
1: I don't if there's something in me, I think it might be because I am autistic that I am very justice oriented. A lot of people who have autism are very justice oriented mm. rules. And, and you know something interesting? I've I've seen this pattern. There's a lot of mediums who are autistic. There's a lot of people Even on your show, you've come across a lot of uh, people with autism. Not people with autism. I am identity first, so I am I am an autistic person. I am not a person that has autism. It's it's a whole thing. But keep going. What were you going to say? Well,
0: I was just going to say I did actually because I was listening to a couple podcasts and I was like, maybe I should take a test to see if I'm autistic because I feel like in my family I grew up not reading subtext in the way that a lot of people did, and I know that that maybe is one of the hallmarks of autism. And I would say I'm very functional. I didn't come across the same issues that you did, but I don't know. I feel like my parents Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily educated to look out for that either. You know, I was just kind of the oddball who said the thing and got overwhelmed easily. And, you know, some of it was maybe Mm -hmm. complicated by PTSD from surgeries and stuff, which we'll also go into later. But so, and I did take this online quiz and it's like, you might be on the spectrum. You should talk to your doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, at this point, I don't know how helpful it would be. But then I did hear a podcast with Carissa Potter and Mm -hmm. this woman wrote a book about coming out as an autistic person in her adult life. She found out in adulthood and I was like, oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't know how helpful it would be.
1: I think that, so what was really interesting for me, so I'm not formally diagnosed. I also don't know if I ever will get formally diagnosed. Mm. I I am a very anxious person, and the underlying sort of current that is in America and is in culture like makes me nervous to have that medical documentation. But yeah. I also think it co- comes from my ancestry. Mm. When I was working at a job, I got diagnosed with major depression and when i went and told my mother and grandmother their immediate response was that's really serious don't get that documented and i think it comes from we're jewish and i think it mm-hmm. comes from a long line of having documentation that could lead to discrimination or yeah. or even death you know mm-hmm. um that like that's so interesting going, because i yeah. actually had a similar
0: experience where i was going to a therapist and like I was very aware of not wanting to get diagnosed a certain way and, you know, going through a lot, but just really – because, I mean, ultimately it's supposed to help you, right? But then once that's on paper, it fucks up your health insurance potentially and it's something that people could use against you in court. And, you know, the whole check the box if you are disabled in the sense of mental health. And I'm like, well, having had PTSD and anxiety and severe depression at times in my life, I just knew it's not worth it. Whatever benefit I might get from putting that on paper, it wouldn't be worth it. Mm -hmm. It's different.
1: It is different. And I think that that leads into like what we're talking about with some of the stuff around, I see things within systems that are not just, and then I try yeah. to figure out how to untangle. It's not quite a one-to-one, but I do feel our medical system is inherently broken in the United States. It is not yeah. trying to make people better. It, it, and I think a lot of people feel this way. That's why, you know, the one of the biggest growing fields right now is natural stuff and, mm for me, it comes from a deep distrust of they don't have our best interest at heart. And it's not necessarily like the doctors don't have your exactly. best interest at heart. It's a system yeah. that doesn't allow them to spend the time to solve problems. It's more about, oh, you're having this symptom. Take this medication. Oh, you're having it. Every single time I go to the doctor.
0: Minimizing liability. Yeah.
1: They just want to get rid of the symptoms and not really address the cause. And I am somebody who's like, can we just figure out the causes, please? I Meaning there is mm-hmm. some symptom
0: management in order to get to square one you know but i'm just thinking about our interview with ragu where if someone is clinically depressed getting them on meds and helping them get to a baseline but then after that yeah just throwing more pills at it is you'll never get to the root cause
1: My thing is, is I will go to my primary care physician and I'll say, I'm kind of depressed or I'm kind of anxious. And they will just give me pills for the symptoms. And I don't feel they track me or do anything. I also have Kaiser, who is just one of the most garbage. I've had so many issues with this specific medical institution. The first one being when I was younger, I had to have reconstructive foot surgery Uh and I ended up being in a wheelchair for four months and mm. predominantly spent most of the time in bed because my parents' house, I was at my parents' house and their house isn't made for a wheelchair. So I mm. created these, these knee pads that would strap around my leg. Cause I couldn't find any that wouldn't slide over your foot and I couldn't get anything to slide over my foot. So I created Velcro knee pads from some volleyball. Oh yeah. Oh my God. That's wild. And, and i literally dragged myself around the house on my knees and nose what? and to like get places. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> I know. That's horrifying, know. but and the nobody... visual is hilarious,
0: but also sad. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: yeah. it. Well, we don't realize how much of the world yeah. is inaccessible until it becomes inaccessible right. to us. And I think that is why it is so hard for people to prioritize yep. accessibility but (laughs) I'm going on a tangent. Where was I before? Back to Yeah. So I had this reconstructive foot surgery and I was going to physical therapy. And then all of a sudden my health insurance got dropped and we couldn't figure out why I was about to go to grad school. And what had happened is in undergrad, I had bronchitis and I was so dehydrated. I couldn't keep food down. I was super, super sick. And so I had elevated liver stats on a blood test because I was so dehydrated. They decided I had a pre-existing liver condition and said that I didn't need health insurance anymore. So Kaiser dropped me, ended up fighting it. That primary care physician went in and was like, she doesn't have a liver condition. She just had elevated liver stats because she was dehydrated. If you actually read the thing. So that was my first sort of issue with this Mm. company.
0: Well, and that's illegal now, right? It's illegal to reject someone because of pre-existing conditions. Yes.
1: This was pre- the Affordable Care Act and all of that stuff, but it's not off the table that that could come back. Stuff could be removed. If we look at what they're trying to do now as a system and overturn a lot of our primary health things that were given to mm-hmm. us as a right, it's really difficult for me to believe that they won't go back on that as well, mm-hmm. which again, is a reason why I wouldn't want things to be documented. Because I wouldn't want to lose health insurance in the future.
0: One of the reasons that I thought it would be really great to talk is you are kind of coming out of this experience with Kaiser. And this is not your first time dealing with them, which I didn't realize. But, yeah, maybe you could share what happened.
1: Yeah. so. About a little over a week ago, I went in for a, a semi-routine procedure. It was OBGYN and in my charts it says that there are to be no men in any OBGYN procedures.
0: Is that a normal yeah. you can request that and they are supposed to respect it? Is that kind of how that works?
1: So I'm still reading through all of the documentation to understand what my patient's rights are. I'm talking mm. with a lawyer later this afternoon you had said, I don't want any men in the room. And then I, it was more than that. I said, I didn't want, I I've always been very much like there are to be no men unless I consent to it. And I was not given the opportunity to consent to there being a man in the room. And it was, I was nude, completely naked. Yeah. Uh, with my legs wide open and they knocked me unconscious, even though I was told I was only going to be lightly sedated. I don't remember a thing. The last thing I remember right before I lost consciousness was the man walking towards me with a tool with my legs wide open. And I am so traumatized by this. I fit, over, According to the CDC, over 50% of women have been sexually assaulted or experienced some form of sexual violence. And I'm sure the number is higher because- Within the hospital really, environment? or No, not within the hospital situation. No, just within- the general population. And so if you have like a one out of every two people has this-
0: It's already traumatic, but then for someone who's gone through that already, letting mm -hmm. go of control in that environment would be really, yeah, scary.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it does have to do with the level of control. I had no control over what happened to my body. I am currently having PTSD from the experience. Every time I lay in bed, my legs get tight so wrapped so tight that my hips are starting to hurt, and I'm actively being like, "Okay, you're safe, you know I'm trying to do some positive self talk to try and get my body to stop holding so much tension in it because it's physically hurting me even more past yeah. the actual traumatic experience. And my therapist is recommending like EMDR, the light oh, yeah. thing. And, and then maybe tapping. Tapping. I've been doing tapping for a while. Yeah, okay. uh, I think, ta- yeah, yeah. Tapping is really, really good. If you don't know about tapping, Google tapping. One thing that I did just learn about is there are tapping meditations that you can go through. However, yeah. you're supposed to do the tapping rhythm thing, until your anxiety comes down, till yeah. it's really low, yeah. if you stop in the middle, you can continue to trigger yourself. Totally. And so I just recently learned that because I was oh. doing a tapping meditation. And then when the meditation, the ended. talking meditation, I just ended, but I was told you're supposed to keep doing it until your anxiety gets to like a two.
0: <laughs> I know because you're basically bringing it up to heal it, to mm. expose it. Exp- Ugh, mm-hmm. that's not the word, but, but expel, Is expel, that right? Is that what yeah, expel <laughs> it. And yeah, I've had actually some major past life flashbacks tapping. Like normally in the past, I had to be deep in like an hour long meditation for that to actually happen. Or, you know, I just couldn't access that. But doing tapping within 20 minutes, I was able to get that deep into my chakra system or whatever. So but yeah had i stopped in the middle of it i think that would have really fucked things up because i had to kind of tap my way through it to get it out and then also clear it afterwards because mm-hmm. you know if you're bringing up trauma it's going to be scary as you're going through it so I mean, I'm not an expert on tapping. Just feel like I need to say No, that. no.
1: No, I just learned that from a But I did learn that from a coach because I was just stopping when the talking meditation was over oh, okay. and found out you're not supposed to because I was listening to guided meditations see. through tapping and then would just end them. But you're just supposed to keep going until you feel better. Your 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 levels sort of come mm. down. And yeah, I I have chronic anxiety. I've just a nervous chihuahua. And, and I love to describe, oh, I know, I love to describe the- Neuro-spicy. Baseline, I'm neurospicy, but my baseline is most people's panic attacks. The way that I, my baseline of existing is what most people would consider a really early part of a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, <laughs> which, okay, which, well. <laughs> which really, I mean, it explains a lot, but I do- it's why I have so much energy is, is this mm. underlying current of anxiety and wanting to solve things and fix things. And somehow I get this reserve of energy that comes out of my body
0: mm.
1: and I'm able to to solve or work through things in a way that I think if, if I didn't, because I do also have chronic fatigue syndrome, mm. I'm, I'm constantly fatigued, but I think they probably go hand in hand. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's some length there.
0: Well, thinking about your experience. And so just, I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I've had my own experience where when I was younger, I went through a series of surgeries, both on my face and then also dental work, like really extreme. They pulled out, I've had a total of like 18 teeth pulled because six or seven of them were baby teeth. And then I've had full adult teeth, which if you don't know, your teeth have roots that are like three inches long. And I was awake for that. And so I didn't want any of that to happen. But by that point, I had already had multiple surgeries that I didn't want. So I was just kind of like, this is my life now. I just don't have any say. And so that feeling that you've kind of been assaulted or violated is something that I'm familiar with. And it was something that I tried talking about in therapy, but that to say you've been violated and all all you've had is a surgery versus someone who's actually been assaulted, I see why that might be hard for someone to understand. Like I felt like my therapist didn't pick up on it as kind of a route to what I was going through. And it's maybe not the same, but there is this element of a loss of control on your over your body. And one thing that did kind of come up that I think would be interesting to talk about is this idea of locus of control, where everyone kind of has a center of how they think events shape their life. Whether you think that you are in control of your environment or you think external forces have control, and doing some research. The more you think other people and other things external to you have control, the more likely you are to have stress and anxiety and health problems. And then the more you have an internal locus of control, the more confident and self-assured you are and the more self-efficacy, which I think it's interesting because both you and I, I would say, know how to get shit done, (laughs) you know, but there is a sense of growing up where... I didn't feel agency over my own body and that really hurt my self-esteem and kind of has been my main thing that I'm working through and almost fuels my inner drive to actually be productive is if I don't be super productive, the world will come crashing in and I'll have to, I won't be able to fight it off or something. But so I totally understand why you had that reaction. I mean, it sounds like yours was even more dramatic, but, um,
1: I, I don't want to say that things were more dramatic. And I also really want to acknowledge that if you, if your body feels assaulted and you feel assaulted, it I don't think we should be like, one is not an assault. When, when you feel that in your body, negating that that is how you feel, I think that all feelings and experiences sort of, need some level of validation that, Mm. that, that this happened. And I think that all suffering is suffering. And I think that when we compare, oh, is this suffering as bad as this suffering that really takes away from the fact that people are actually suffering, that their needs are not being met, that their bodies are being violated for their boundaries and things like that. And so I think that everybody's experience is valid. If you feel violated, you feel violated. If you feel, you know, that something is really, really crappy, it doesn't matter necessarily your external circumstances. Things can feel crappy. It's okay.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying. You can't compare. It's not apples to apples.
1: Yeah. And and I do think that the, for me, it is really toxic for us to compare because it takes our experience and sort of invalidates it. And I just think that it is important to validate your experience was real. It happened. The way you felt about it is valid. And so I just wanted to say that.
0: Thank you. (laughs) That's so sweet. And I wanted to say, like, as you were talking that This is not to say that my parents didn't do the best thing that they thought they needed to do at the time, you know. And I think there's a lot of complexity that maybe we can go into about the medical industry. You have a doctor, this, you know, male doctor at the time who is telling you, this is what we think is going to be best. You're not going to necessarily listen to your child, you know, or if you're making decisions for someone else, you're not going to prioritize all opinions equally. And I think there is a lot of Mm -hmm. that. I guess it's paternalism where you think oh well if the doctor's saying it we have to go along with it which to a certain extent is kind of what you did it's so hard
1: mhm that's that's the that was the problem so they gave me the option to cancel or reschedule the issue with that is that I in november had to reschedule because TMI just so you all know Kind of talk about periods. I didn't get my period. You have to get your period in order to have the procedure that I got done. I had not gotten it, so they needed to reschedule. They told me they would contact me within seven business days. Seven business days went by. They didn't contact me. I called them every single day. Oh my God. On their voicemail, it said that they would call you back in 24 to 48 hours. Wow. No one ever called me back. It was, I did that for a month. I called them every single day for a month to reschedule. No one called me back. I finally emailed the doctor and was like, no one is getting back to me. She said she would go and try and figure out what was happening. I ended up putting in a formal complaint to Kaiser that nobody was calling me back. A day later after I put in the formal complaint, someone calls me back. So then I scheduled it. I scheduled it for when I thought maybe I would, you know, have already had my period and been because you have to have it finished right within a week of you oh, getting wow. the procedure it's so particular. I'm like, how can you even schedule this? This is really complicated. It doesn't even take into consideration how women actually women or people who get periods.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say
1: experienced life, like, first of all, and so then a month before the procedure, you have to talk to the doctor. And I was telling her, I don't want to reschedule this. I'm really anxious that this is gonna happen. because I don't know if I can predict that. Yeah. So she put me on a medication to prevent me from getting my period so I could get the procedure. That medication gave me depression, gave me hives on my arms gave me this pain that was so intense in my stomach. And I powered through for a month to get this procedure. I went through such physical pain to get this procedure. To show up day of, they haven't disclosed who is going to be in the room. And when they told me that there was going to be a man in the procedure room handing the tools to the doctor, Mm. I asked if they could find someone else. Another doctor, not the primary doctor, went off to go. I never saw that doctor again. Wow. Uh, and as soon as they said there was a man in the room, I uncontrollably started crying and I'm, and you know me, I'm not a very overly emotional. I could not breathe. I was crying so hard that I set off the vital machines Uh, that were taking my vitals and they had to unplug me from the vital machines because they couldn't get them to stop doing a warning. So they just... uh, Unplugged me. Yeah. And then when the primary care doctor came in and said that the only option was to cancel or reschedule the procedure, that was like a fake offer. That was not an offer. Totally. It's a straw man. going through. Yeah. Yeah. It was to protect their butts and say, well, we did offer this. But... <laughs> It's it's yeah, no, pretty ridiculous. The the whole situation. So ridiculous.
0: And the fact that that is not built in to the process, I think is the real problem, right, is when you're going through a sensitive thing like that, it should be built in, it shouldn't be something that you have to get special permission for, you know, I think. That's part of the whole yeah. consent thing that we're starting to get more aware of. Places where there's a blind spot. We never asked for consent before. Why would we do it now kind of thing? But, oh, yeah, maybe there is space to build that into the system.
1: And ever since I started telling this story, almost every single person who identifies as a woman or has been a, was assigned female at birth has told me stories of trauma. Just really similar where men or doctors who are men have walked in on really vulnerable procedures without consent. Yeah. So many people have told have just it's been flooding in and mm. just what happened with the student debt stuff and reason I started Matter of Life and Debt was when I started talking about my student loans because I was so ashamed of them. I was so ashamed mm-hmm. that that it happened. I was so indebted yeah. and as soon as I started talking about it Nearly everyone had a trauma story around it. And I was I want these stories to get out there so that people can understand as it started progressing and the the podcast took off. I started understanding the patterns and the systemic failures and how we purposely seem to indebt people who can't afford it so that they can't ever, you know, it's an yeah. it's
0: a well you're in a it's, position it's a tax. Yeah, you're in a position of privilege where you yeah. can take care of yourself. And so And you have a platform, you have two platforms, you know, I mean, maybe this isn't the appropriate topic for those platforms, but you're in a position that a lot of people don't have energy and time for where you can actually fight the system on this and bring other people's stories to the fore. So that's what I think is really awesome about your Mm -hmm. situation is you're not just someone who's going to sit down and be like, or maybe tell a couple people like, oh, man, this sucked, you know, and then move on. You're like, oh, I will fucking tear you down, Kaiser.
1: <laughs> and I do not think that treating pain with pain necessarily comes right. to the right solution. But my goal with all of this stuff is to change their policies around consent. Absolutely. There are so many people who are put in vulnerable situations when they're facing medical issues oh, yeah. that cause more trauma that prevent them from healing. They wanted me to come oh. in for another examination and I refuse, I, I am so traumatized. I don't ever want to go into Kaiser again. I don't ever want to talk to one of their doctors again. Yeah. I am in the process of changing health insurances, which is mm. going to cost me a significant amount of money. Yeah, And I just, I I... The trauma is so deep that I just, I I can't.
0: Well, and it's fresh too. Just thinking about trauma, I actually was assaulted by a foot doctor and I'm not talking about this lightly. It wasn't anything invasive. It was just, he was really creepy and clearly had done it before. Maybe I'll, I can cut this out potentially. But so basically what happened (laughs) is, you know, I went in, I had broken my foot and I didn't really know what was going on. And so I got some x-rays And I was at this now care foot place in Minnesota and my mom waited in the waiting room. I don't know why I didn't invite her in, but so it was just him and me in this room. And as soon as he came in to look at x-rays and stuff, he started treating me kind of weird. He liked, he's like, oh, you're like a princess or you're like Cinderella with your shoe. So he compared me to a Disney princess. And at that point I was 38. So I'm like, no, like that doesn't really work for me. You know, I was just like, okay. But then I just was like, whatever, I'll move on. But then he proceeded to help me lace up my boot. And I think that the Disney princess comment was this weird kind of priming because then he laced up my boot and he placed the boot right on his balls and then like sandwiched my foot between his legs And then laced up the boot like that. And I started getting this really weird energy from him. And I basically had an anxiety attack and shut down. And I just felt like, oh my God, I'm a grown ass woman. And this is so violating that I shut down. Like I'm really confident and strong. And at this point, you know, have stood up for myself in a number of weird situations. And that, dynamic because I had trusted the medical professional to handle my body in a way that was respectful. It just caught me off guard, you know, which I think maybe speaks a little bit to your reaction. of You put this implicit trust in the people that are going to be taking care of your body, hopefully for the better. And I think in the case of you, the intentions were good, if not negligent. Whereas I think it was,
1: was negligent. negligent. This feels negligent. And I, I feel like what happened to you was harmful, intentional. Like, intentionally bad. And, yeah.
0: and it actually helped clarify from my earlier surgeries, this person actually meant harm, whereas the people before mm-hmm. just thought they were doing the right thing but weren't, you know? And so it kind of helped clarify that difference. But like, but regardless, I don't know. I think it the, the trust that you put in the medical profession and the control that you hand over... Is kind of this unspoken, uncontested dynamic. You're not invited to contest it.
1: Which is why I think we have so many people who are out there who don't trust the medical industry and have done started doing natural things. And I'm I'm very pro natural things. I think a lot of non-Western medicine things work really well. My grandma actually has a spiritual healer and does my grandma refuses to go to most doctors. She just, her spiritual healer knows what to do. And I I just think the medical industry, because their main priority is to make money, (laughs) you know, like when when that is your incentive Mm. to make money, you don't build it.
0: And that's the industry. Again, not the doctors necessarily.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But when your job is in a system that deprioritizes what the actual primary focus is supposed to be, you create things that are not good. One of my aunts is a retired ER doctor, and she said that there was a light inside the room. As soon as she entered, the light would turn on, and seven minutes in, it would turn off. And if you weren't out of there in a minute and a half, you would get in trouble. You had... 10 minutes in which you could spend time with a patient max and when you create these systems that really prioritize just financial gains Mm. you're not going to have healthy people but also if you have healthy people you're not going to make a lot of money so it's it's this it's this really terrible cobra effect do you know what the cobra effect is i don't (laughs) know so i'm probably gonna botch this but essentially in india they had a lot of cobras and so the government started paying people to kill cobras and bring them in and then they would get money so then people started creating cobra farms so that they could maximize (laughs) maximize how much money they could get but when the government figured out that people were doing this they shut down the program and then there were more cobras than when they started. And so, oh my god. So so the cobra effect is when you create the wrong incentivizations, right, and then you create a worse problem. It's so so much of America because that's the system in which I grew up in and live mm. in and the thing I feel I could speak to just from my own personal experience has these incentivizations that do not prioritize actually solving problems they prioritize Mm. metrics they prioritize money they prioritize uh attention they prioritize things that are so against the human spirit (laughs) and soul and what we need you know meaningful connection community access to good drinking water and food and we have essentially gotten rid of a lot of that. Of course we're going to be unhealthy. We don't... We're not in a normal human environment
0: where... We're we're evolved to thrive. Yeah. We're not in the environment Mm -hmm. in
1: which we evolved
0: to thrive. Definitely.
1: We're in an environment in which billionaires... (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay bernie are, oh
1: no no so that salon i went to we pretended that we were billionaires we each one of us had to research a billionaire and then we had to embody that billionaire and try and figure out how we could solve certain world problems mm. and so that was it was a really fun salon and most of the billionaires in our group have 2x their net worth over what does that mean since 2020 they have grown their net worth Two times doubled oh. their net worth since twenty twenty. Most of the people at Whoa. the table, there was only one or two billionaires who didn't have that trend at this table. Of I think we were like ten people, wow. and one man had literally given away all of his money. He purposely oh, wow. and so I so that. that who was that? That man was Do really cool. I don't remember his name, but he was the head of duty free. Like he created the duty free. System, oh, and he ended up giving away. Good for him. Most of his money, and then the other person is actually Oprah. Oprah's <sighs> income or net worth has decreased, opposed to because she's like other.
0: I don't need all this, you know. I mean, I'm sure she doesn't love losing money, but I mean, if you think about, I who mean- the most spiritual. She's my spiritual benchmark, so if that's what she's <laughs> yeah. doing, I'm super on board with that. But
1: yeah, so the thing that. It just is fascinating to me when you start looking at the, the macro level yeah. things that is happening where, where we're getting this bigger divide between income inequality mm. and like people making a ton of – the system – basically, all I'm trying to say is the system is set up for certain people to be successful and for the rest of the people to be unsuccessful so that they strive for success. Right.
0: And keep working and for the successful what, people
1: keep working for the successful people with the dream that the American dream is possible. Mm. When, when you look at the system, you realize how much everything is stacked against people to not be able to achieve the American dream. And then it is put on you. Oh, you're just not working hard enough or you're not doing these things. And I think that
0: when that goes to where that is what's the locus of control is actually because you don't really want to be on either opposite end of the spectrum when you think it's so much in your control and then you start beating yourself up when the reality is certain things are not in your control, like the system that you're talking about, the structure of our economy. And mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm, and when I read through the stuff that you sent over, I'm right in the middle as well. Sometimes what happened to me at the doctor was out of my control. I felt that was something that happened to me that, and I do blame myself. I wish I had spoken up more. I wish I had been like, I want someone in the room. I now will never go to a medical procedure without another person. I know. I mean, that that. was
0: my lesson too. And I felt like because I think the freeze, because there's fight, flight, or freeze now. They've established a new fear response. Freeze. I froze, you know? And I think maybe you froze, you know? The the part of you that is able to kick ass and take names and get things done goes away when you're presented with this thing that maybe re-traumatized you. I
1: cr- I cried so hysterically from the moment that they told me and I asked them not to. And then when she said the only option was to reschedule, I said, cried uncontrollably to the point where I could not talk from the pre-op room until yeah. they knocked me out. Yeah. So I have put in a formal complaint with them. I am talking with a lawyer. I am going to do a petition to hopefully get them to change their policies around informed consent yeah. over vulnerable procedures. I think tailoring it specifically around vulnerable procedures Yeah. and having that level of consent. So many people I know I have a friend who goes to a queer clinic and every single person in the room, they get consent. And Mm -hmm. it's just, I feel like there's so many spaces that have evolved in the medical industry that that are doing it correctly. Totally.
0: (laughs) And I'm just thinking about, you know, my PCP, we had, you know, the breast exam or the pelvic exam. And she does have to say, okay, now I'm doing this. Okay, now I'm doing this. You know, whoever you have has to kind of get your consent to do that kind of touching. So the fact that you didn't get that from someone who is going to be in the room handling tools, to me, that doesn't make any sense. That's just as intimate as someone giving you a breast exam. Maybe to wrap things up, you know, what next steps? It sounds like you're deep in legal stuff, but maybe what other projects you're working on. I feel like I'm always so inspired by just your approach, which is this bad thing happened to me. How can I help other people?
1: Yeah. So I I have Matter of Life in Debt, which is now a monthly podcast. We've changed the format up. And basically we start out with what's in the news, what should you know about around student debt? And then we go into a spotlight section where we talk in depth about something that that is happening that you should be aware of. Our last episode was about the theater of the oppressed and all of these performances that this group is putting together to help people be able to understand how to come up against conflict. I went to one of the, the it was on Zoom, which was oh, cool. cool. It was in person and on Zoom. And it was a ton of fun. We basically embodied certain oppressors. And then we would speak from our heart and then figure out how, how do we talk to people? How do we figure out different things
0: like role-playing
1: kind of to test out conversations or Mm -hmm. it it was really fascinating. So that was last episode, this one coming up, we're going to be talking to the lead plaintiff in the Sweet versus Cordona case, that case, um, is going to have billions of dollars canceled for people who went to predatory schools Mm. under borrower's defense. And I already have two friends who have gotten emails that that all their loans are going to be canceled. $60,000 and $80,000. So this next episode is going to be really cool. There was also a big protest in DC. I ended up not being able to make it because of this medical procedure, which again, just more things that uh, universe... And then season two of Disability Bandwidth is out now, and the people we've talked to are just so fascinating and interesting, and I've learned so much this season. The, The primary thing that I'm taking away from talking to everybody is just human needs are human needs. It doesn't matter if you're disabled or not. We all need to eat. We all need to drink. We all need people to care for us. We all need friends. And for some reason, if you're disabled, it's considered a special need. And it's not. It's a human need. This season has been really inspiring to look at myself and be like, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's a part of my disability or not. What are my actual needs? It's right. really helped me.
0: Yeah. And not stigmatize them or make them extra, categorize them mentally as extra. Yeah. I love that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have that. I have another podcast that I don't I'm not talking about yet because
0: yeah you should not it's not don't talk about it yeah
1: it's not coming
0: top secret
1: I'm still doing the interviews and stuff like that I'm really excited about it and then is there anything else I'm redoing my bathroom (laughs) it's it's kind of taking up a lot of energy uh strangely who knew i I want to be a homemaker, you know, like yeah, who, who, know that.
0: right, just for the listeners, <laughs> She was one of the people laid off by Slack and Salesforce, so you're kind of in between jobs right now, right?
1: yeah, well, I start my new job uh in a week from today,, oh, wow. so I'm gonna be the head of product design for a startup that helps. Low-income and chronically sick and disabled people have access to healthy food.
0: Oh, awesome! So,
1: food that is locally grown is what I cool. mean by by healthy, because I because I do think that we can get into really sticky territory about what's healthy and unhealthy, mm-hmm. and getting into another sort of terrible model of of blaming people and telling Mm. people that they're unhealthy when again, it's a system problem. (laughs) Right. Not an individual. I don't know. Is there anything else? I I, I've been going to all your side woo stuff. That's really exciting. Oh, yay. Oh, thank you. I've really been enjoying all the side collective classes and the, I've been doing the drawing with you every day. Yeah. That's been really fun. Morning drying hour.
0: Yeah, well, and we're (laughs) right at an hour. So this is great. And thank you so much for being so candid and sharing your story. I mean, I think it really resonated with me. And unfortunately, I think it'll probably resonate with a lot of other people. So, you know, if you have any thoughts or comments that you want to share with Nikki, she's very accessible in a lot of different ways. Um, We'll put that Mm -hmm. in the show notes. So feel free to reach out. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, my handle is the Nikki Nolan on pretty much everything. So the Nikki N I K K I Nolan, and then if you want to look at my artist website, it's N Nolan, so N N O L A N, and that's N as in Nancy. I have sort of. I'm always congested, so my end sometimes helps.
0: Mickey Mullen.
1: Yeah, I, I ask Mickey. People are always Mickey, and I'm, whatever, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's go with that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is really Thank delightful. Thank
0: you. Yay! That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts please subscribe rate and review our podcast for good karma points until we meet again in the woo